Welcome to Beyond the Business, presented by the Coastal Financial Planning Group. Each Saturday morning at 8.30, listen in to successful business leaders and entrepreneurs from across the Lowcountry talk about what it takes to succeed in business and in life. Now your hosts, Rick Durkee, Eric Cox, and Leslie Haywood. And great Saturday morning, Low Country. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Business. I'm one of your hosts here on this Saturday morning, Eric Cox, as usual, with our fabulous two other hosts here in the studio. Both of us fabulous, Rick Durkee and Leslie Haywood. Hi, I'm Leslie Haywood, and once again, thank you all for sharing your Saturday morning with us. And make sure to continue to the fun beyond Saturday morning. Make sure and like our Facebook page, Beyond the Business, or talk to us on Twitter at BTBCHS, which stands for Beyond the Business Charleston. And I can't wait to continue our conversation with Bill Finn, former CEO of Aston Johnson. Uh, but right now, what do you? What are some takeaways from last week? Let's get people caught up. And we'll catch them up before we do. By the way, uh, wonderful weekend here in Charleston is Wildlife Festival, so a lot going on this weekend. I'm glad you uh, took a few minutes before you jumped out in the community to tune the dial to ninety four three and listen to us. And if you didn't get a chance uh, last week, you missed a treat in terms of uh, Bill. You giving us some background information and your upbringing and. Um, I tell you, some of those stories that you just shared with us and the takeaway for me was as the leader you have always been, uh, the fact that listening is one of those skill sets that uh, we all know, but something tells me you've been practicing that your entire life. And there's a reason that God gave us two ears and one mouth, but sometimes it's hard and we get confused. And I think we go the opposite with that. So certainly for me, a takeaway was that you've not only talked about that probably your whole life, but you've lived it. And that's why you are the leader that you are and uh, the success that you've had. And certainly uh, we all learn from that, and we know why now God gave us two ears and one set of lips, right? <laughs> still still gets confusing sometimes, right, Rick? So, yeah, so it still does. Um, but, Bill, you also shared with us last time uh, where you felt, fell in your birth order, and I think that's always uh, important. You were, you were in the middle, right, of, of your siblings. Yes. And, and, uh, and so you said you often found yourself in a mediator role. So as that went on into your uh, business career, you probably found yourself as a mediator between the personnel of the company or the manufacturing plant and the management uh, of the company. And so you oftentimes found yourself in a mediator role there also, didn't you? I I found that that we, uh, that as we, that yes, I was at a, uh, served at that role as a mediator. But but I realized that the real challenge was how do you build organizations that actually interact among themselves and you create an organization that solves problems across various groups, uh, engineering, manufacturing, sales, that automatically solves them. And I think that's probably one of the biggest uh, areas in terms of organizational development that I focus on over the years is building high-performance teams teams that would solve these problems quickly and they would be engaged with each other and organized so they were together on a regular basis and they didn't problems problems didn't bubble up to the top to get solved they need to be solved right away uh and building organizations that did that training people uh uh letting people learn new ways of thinking about the same problems has been a great part of my management philosophy over the years. Now, I know we want to dive in a lot to your management philosophies and certainly success traits, and I'm sure Leslie's got a tough question or two for you as well. Uh, but uh, 
just kind of reference back to last week, give us a, a quick synopsis of how you went from where you, we left off last week of you, you know, beginning your career. You actually did an internship with Asin when you were in college, and then you, you ended up uh, coming back and going to work with him, and you worked your way through. How did you go from ground level to the role of CEO? That's a uh, – I know that's like a yeah 30-second yeah, yeah, uh, uh, answer that I'm sure. <laughs> uh, you know, as I continued to grow and learn, I love – I always loved what I did. I just enjoyed it. And, and I uh, – when I went into manufacturing uh, where I started my career, uh, we had a sales uh, sales team on the West Coast. And they would always – I would always say, well, can I travel with you guys because I want to learn about the customers. Uh, to make sure that I can do a manufacturing job, make the products that that the customers are really uh, – we're doing the right things for the customers. So ended up traveling a fair amount with our salespeople, learned an awful lot about – customers about the sales process about marketing and 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 i also learned about uh, much of our sales organization was much older than i was at the time and i also learned again how to listen and how to how to how to gain knowledge from these guys that had been very successful for many years they were uh, the, the paper industry very much relied on our product and as the product became more technical the customers became less knowledgeable about the details of that product, and it became a sale that was based on a high degree of trust that this salesperson, who was basically, uh, today they're all engineers, but they, our customers believe in them, that they are going to do the right thing for them. And I, there's a very high degree of trust because, you know, you got to understand that any one of our products that we sell, if it doesn't work in a paper mill, the whole mill shuts down and stands still. It comes to a stop. They can't make paper or they're making defective paper. And that downtime is money. Very expensive, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, for a paper mill to be shut down. So so we're a very uh, critical product. And um, it's it's in our business, you know, we, we learned long ago, there's no such thing as a second. Uh, we, we don't make it right. It, we start all over again. And we may have an invest have invested twenty five thirty forty fifty thousand dollars. It's finished. It's out. It's in the trash. Start over again. So that's from that standpoint. One of the things that I really began to focus on in the eighties was quality. And as all of us in the eighties learned from the Japanese, what's going on with the Japanese? They've transformed this whole country from making cheap products that didn't function very well to high-quality cars. What are they doing differently? And uh, I became a student of that in the, in the early 80s, in the middle 80s, and that is one of the things that really changed my life, changed the life of the company, too. We became much more professional. We learned about process. There was a fellow, uh, Dr. Deming, some of you may have heard the name. Deming was a... a uh, actually, I... Not sure what his education was. Statistician, I think, but he'd worked for the government in the labs, in the government labs. And nobody uh, listened to him, and he, the Japanese, started listening to him. And he actually moved to Japan, mm-hmm. and he taught the Japanese about quality, about statistical process control. I went to he- listen to him, and he was uh, an older gentleman at the time, rather stodgy. Uh, would take a few questions. But I'll always remember the question that came from 
a, a young man. He said, well, Dr. Deming, I agree with everything you've said today. This was at the end of the day. But my managers don't listen to me. <laughs> what should I do? Dr. Deming looked out there and took a few seconds and he said, son, get a new job. <laughs> now, now uh, Dr. Deming, I think, and the Japanese, weren't they the initiators of the acronym CANI, Consonant Never-Ending Improvement? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The whole yeah. process of, of the what they call the, he used to call the Deming loop, mm-hmm. was a plan, do, act, check, plan, do, act, check, and, and keep going around this circle. And, and it, it changed... Uh, it changed the way we thought about uh, manufacturing and, and had a very significant change over the years, how we thought about our processes. We didn't understand process variation, and it became a very big an effort for us over the years and has had just a measurable results. Because we're a company that can't have a second. You don't have a second. No. Either it goes out to the customer or it goes in the trash. Now, you have uh, shepherded the, the company through many changes. I mean, you said there, there were mergers. I mean, we didn't even talk about the Aston and the Johnson part of it. Uh, what were some of the um, hits and misses of some of these major changes that you saw and that you had to lead your people through? Uh, being the eternal optimist, I thought many of these changes could be made very quickly. And, and uh, having patience is something I had to learn that uh, these things take time. We're talking about changing the fundamental thought process of how we look at at our processes and, and how the work that people do. And it, it is uh, particularly an organization that has very low turnover. We don't have a lot of people that come and go from Aston Johnson. There are a lot of people that are there, their careers, like I, uh, like I was. But their whole work changed. All of the things that they've been doing for the last 10 years changed. So we had to change this whole mentality to get people to think differently about their processes. And I think I was impatient, had to learn patience. And uh, if we were, we had a process that had been in place for, since the company was started in the U.S. since 1935. Of course, it had changed a few times, but basically some people had done their work 10 years. Now we were telling them to think differently about this and we learned also that we had to make sure we educated everybody and gave gave them the background of why we were doing this, where we were going, and what we expected in terms of results in the future. So it, it to me, I, I think as a CEO, I learned patience is very important. Uh, we did a merger with the Johnson Company, and uh, that was another family business, a great family that's still part of Aston Johnson today. And they are... Uh, that took about a year. You know, family businesses are, uh, uh, particularly European families or people that think like European families, uh, businesses, owners of a business look at the business more as trustees of the business, not as an asset to buy and sell. And, and I, you know, uh, exit strategy is something these families don't look at. It's not an option. Uh, these families, the fam, the role of the family in in a family business is to see that it goes on and they can pass it on to the next generation, and and to play a role in terms of what the values are, what the culture is, and is the company doing the right thing. The paper industry has been through many changes over the years, and as I look back, I've said this before. I I went to a uh, shareholder meeting in Europe and made a presentation about how we'd done 
prior year. And uh, I was very a young CEO. I was very disappointed, and we should have done better. Uh, wasn't that we'd done horrible, but we didn't do what we thought we would. And one of the shareholders said, Bill, to me, it doesn't look so bad. You know, we have been through two wars. You know, it puts it in perspective, which is not something that we have in this country. And I've talked on many occasions uh, to other groups about the destruction that we do sometimes and looking at quarterly earnings. And family businesses look at strategy and they look at the strategic significance of the business and what is our long-term strategy. They're not looking at every quarter. They're not even looking necessarily at every year. Obviously, we need to make money so we can continue to reinvest in the business. But uh, what are the strategically important things for this business and are we doing them? And by the way, in case you just joined us this morning, uh, you're listening to Words of Wisdom from Mr. Bill Finn, who is the former CEO and current chairman of Aston Johnson. Um, And Bill, I want to switch gears a minute from the role of leader in an organization in in corporate America to leader in uh, your community. You certainly, um, you and um, the chairman of the Finn household, uh, Prudence, we'll call her, uh, have done a lot for this community. I've been around this community a long time. And if you go back to the days of, uh, I believe you led um, uh, really the the rally when the Navy base was closing and trying to figure out what this community was going to do up through today. As a leader in the community and all these boards that you serve on, these different companies in this community, what do you see as um, the future of the low country from a business perspective um, and, and some of the challenges that we're facing as well? Well, I, I think we, we've come an awful long way. When I go back and think about the uh, early 90s when we began to think about what is the role of this community in the future, BASE was still open at the time. Some discussions about it still uh, potentially closing. But we had a few of our political leaders that said, no, never. Uh, well, it, it happened. But we had begun to talk about that. And, you know, the, the part of our economy that was really growing at the time was tourism. And as we, uh, those of us in business leadership roles, talked about that, we couldn't build our future only on solely on tourism. So uh, we started a uh, – became important that – we bring people together, and uh, we had a somewhat fragmented economic development effort at the time. The counties didn't necessarily all work together at the time, and they were really wanted to compete for projects that were thinking about coming to this community. And we went through quite a process of, of uh, community, this community listening um, to what the, the business community wanted, and bringing people together to talk about what our future, how we could be strong, how, how we could create a stronger uh, organization for the future, and out of that came the Trident, Trident uh, Credit, the the Regional Economic Development Alliance. Um, it was uh, that happened over a series of meetings that I convened at night at my office with the chairs of county councils from Dorchester, Charleston, and and. Berkeley to talk about why don't we work together on this, and we met over a series of months um, after work, very quietly. They hadn't met on occasion; uh, it was rare that they would meet. But we met to talk about economic development. So we'd started these discussions, uh, Eric, and and out of that came the uh, the Regional Development Alliance, 
And I think that has been a, a great success. Uh, we hired David Ginn about the same time, and David has been a wonderful part of this community. And has uh, we, we began to set targets uh, on what industries, we what our assets were. We're going to grow this community based on the strengths we had. And uh, we've gone way beyond that today when you look at at uh, at where we are today. Um, a lot of different industries today. We hadn't focused on the technology industry. Today we have this growing technology industry, but nobody ever anticipated that people would love to move here. The people in the technology industry, they gather up all their assets and put them in the trunk of their car. Here they come. And here they come. <laughs> there's, there's no moving truck necessary. And we hadn't figured that uh, at the time. And, and so there's, there's a lot of things going on. I mean, we need to think about our infrastructure. That's uh, we're, We've grown beyond the current infrastructure. We need to fix that. It needs to be a priority for state government to, to fix the infrastructure. And we have this tendency historically to grow until we were jammed. And then we fix the infrastructure. We grow a little bit more. And that's the way, not the best way to do things, but that seems to be the way it happens in this community. Once again, that whole middle child thing, you brought all of these leaders together and mediated the the two sides and came up with this, what is now a wonderful organization. But you've also, uh, from a philanthropic side, you've been involved in the community, not just from a business standpoint. You're with the Trident United Way, and you've been extremely active in that. And so how important is the giving back to the community, not just from a leadership and business standpoint, uh, but from a philanthropic point of view? You know, I think there's two things. I would say today uh, I am very philanthropic, but also I think what what leaders have to give back to the community is our ability to organize things. We we know how to organize things. We know how to get things done. We know how to move things forward. And I think those skills, for those leaders in this community who think they don't have the funds to give philanthropy, they can give a whole other set of skills that uh, can help solve community issues and community problems. Uh, my latest thing, I spent a lot of time with the United Way. I think they're a great organization focused on education, health, and, and welfare, uh, the right things we need to focus on. Uh, today I've been working on a, uh, a little program that we started on recidivism, uh, Turning Leaf. And that's a whole new area for me. Uh, a young woman that founded it needed some help getting things organized and getting in touch with other community leaders. And those kind of roles I can certainly play. And I, I do know a few people in the community, but it's another part of, of getting engaged and, and bringing the talents that I, but many others like Bill Finn, can bring to these organizations, our ability to organize, to lead to uh, to get things done. Bill, I have a question. Um, oftentimes, and, and you referenced it before, you went to these different events, training events and whatnot. You'd bring your uh, people with, with you to these uh, different uh, manufacturing facilities to experience how other things were doing, uh, other people were doing uh, maybe the same processes and whatnot so you could improve on yours. Um, could you share with our listener out there that's uh, perhaps starting up a business or or already in a business, um, some of those influences that you received that were critical to your growth 
in your business career, um, perhaps from books or other people that uh, have mentored you? I, I you know, I, th- I think that um, I've had a lot of mentors over the years, and, and I look at uh, uh, I, every year I've, that I was active, and, and almost to today, uh, I spend a week or two weeks at executive education. And I find two things out of executive education. If you're with a group of CEOs, the conversations that occur at breakfast, at lunch, and at dinner are as important, if not more important, than the conversations that occur in the classroom. So building a network of people that you can turn to and uh, ask for advice. You know, CEOs don't get advice from too many people in the community. There are some things you just can't ask people about. You're making a big, hard decision. Nobody else has any experience in the company in making those kind of decisions. But if you have a group, a network that includes people you trust, that you've met, uh, I think to, to me this has been a great asset. So my advice would be find people you trust and ask them if they'll mentor you as you start this and be willing to reach out to them. They don't expect you to be perfect and they expect you to come with issues that you're faced and you want somebody to bounce that off. I, we have a great CEO at Aston Johnson today and uh, Kevin and I will meet and have breakfast and Kevin will talk about some of the thoughts he's having about the business and want my input. And I always will share that with him and say, Kevin, you're going to go and do what you want to do. But I appreciate you asking for my input into that decision. How lucky for him, though, to mm-hmm. have the former CEO right there as the mentor. You're right. That doesn't that doesn't happen often. That works both ways. <laughs> and, and, and I'll tell you, <laughs> uh, we have a good relationship, and I think Kevin appreciates that. He tells me he appreciates it. But on the other side, it, it also can be uh, when I left uh, the company as CEO, I said to the board, if you want me to leave completely, I understand. I've been here a long time. I have a bit of a shadow here, and I could be potentially be in the way of the new CEO being successful. And if that's the case, I don't want to stay here. I love the company, love what we're doing, think we have a great future, and if I can help, that's great. And I turned out that that has my relationship with the CEOs have been uh, we're actually the second CEO since I retired, but it's been a mentoring relationship and we've had a good relationship with both of them. So, but it doesn't always work. Now, Bill, you just said the word retirement. I don't think retirement is really in your lifestyle, is it? Yeah, Bill's probably the most uh, active retiree I've ever met in my entire life. So, um, no, I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm. I don't know about retirement, but my life is going to stay active, and I, I enjoy that. We haven't talked about the college. I have been involved with the college, the business school, the College of Charleston, for 25, almost 30 years, I think. We started an advisory board, of which is how I met Eric, um, about 30 years ago. And for the last eight years, have been involved with the program, the Shotland Scholars, who work with a, 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 a faculty member, Dr. Carrie Messel and Carrie was looking for somebody that had a, a few contacts in the community that could maybe get engaged with the students. And so we've made a great uh, combination. Uh, I've worked with Carrie now for eight years, 80 students that have been through our program. And uh, I always introduce myself as Carrie's assistant. And Carrie always says, 
CEOs make bad assistants. <laughs> <laughs> she said they're there. Mm. They, I come away with a long list of things to do. <laughs> I'll put that down as one of my quotes, by the way. Um, so, uh, Bill, you know, I know this just from knowing you and certainly research. I learned a lot more. You, you um, guys have, have done so much for this community. You're involved in so many boards. Like you said, the work at the College of Charleston. Um, you know, you were the past chairman of the Board of Governors for the School of Business. We recently awarded you the Wall of Honor, which is um, a, a great uh, testament to the work that you've done there. Um, but talk a bit about um, not just the work that you guys have done in terms of philanthropy, philanthropy back in this community, but uh, a little bit about Prudence and her involvement and you all as a couple and, and what uh, you all have, um, why Charleston is so important to the two of you, let's say it that way. I think it's, it's uh, Prudence is, is a very private person, and uh, whereas I'm the public side of the, uh, but uh, Prudence loves uh, to see if, if there's any ways we can make a difference uh, in this community, we want to do that. And Prudence is a great supporter of that and I think has been involved in a number of different organizations historically and and uh, involving from a variety of different things, from children's organizations and, and, and the like. It It, it is, uh, we just have a lot of different, uh, we, we have uh, similar interests but different interests. I don't mind being the public side of the family. She has wants no part of being the public side of the family, uh, wants to be the private side of the family. And if you knew her dad, who was a New Englander, very typical New Englander, who had few words to say. Uh, in fact, she has a little note that her mother left for her that Brad sent when he was in the war when Prudence was born to to her mom, happy to hear Prudence was born that was it. <laughs> that was from her dad. You know? <laughs> well, before so so, uh, but we have a lot of a lot of different interests. Well, before I turn over to Leslie for a closeout, I just I'd like to say from the bottom of my heart, this entire community uh, certainly owes a, a debt of gratitude to the two of y'all. I've done a lot for this community and continue to, and we really do appreciate it and appreciate uh, you coming in and, and spending time with us today on the show. Thank yes. you, because our, this community has been meant a great deal to us. And in well. closing, I like to ask something fun, something that maybe people don't know about you, because after all, it is beyond the business people you know, stories you don't. What's your number one thing on your bucket list? Mm. My bucket, our bucket list is seeing the great waterfalls in the world. Ah, and uh, and we are actually uh, have seen two. Niagara's one. Uh, Iguazu, which is on the border of in central uh, Brazil and Argentina. Incredible. Uh, and we're on our way in the end of April to Victoria Falls. Well, I guess that about does it. Where did the time go? Thank you so much, Low Country, for spending your Saturday morning with us. Make sure and follow us at our Facebook page, Beyond the Business, and at Twitter, BTBCHS. Uh, Rick, closing thoughts? Well, I'm just sure that our uh, Charleston community is very thankful, as I am, to meet Bill and uh, discuss his life and his career uh, with us here over the last two weekends. We look forward to next week here on Beyond the Business at 830 on 94.3 WSCFM. And I want to encourage everybody to visit CSU or go out to CSU on Tuesday the 21st, Charleston Christian Chamber of Commerce meeting. Or just Google Christian Chamber of Commerce for Charleston. 
Thank you for listening to Beyond the Business, presented by the Coastal Financial Planning Group. If you're a successful business leader or entrepreneur and would like to be featured on a future program, send an email to rick at cfpgroup.biz. Listen in next Saturday morning at 8.30 for Beyond the Business, presented by the Coastal Financial Planning Group and heard exclusively on News Radio 94.3 WSC. 